Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Conversations with My Dog, with me, Moni Jahangiri. Today's guest is Danique Massengill, president and co-founder of Leashes of Valor. As a student, she established herself as an expert in the field of military working canines and service dogs, and her knowledge has been used to craft wide-ranging policies regarding service dogs and military canines. Leashes of Valor works to help former service members recover from post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury. Working with Thomas Jefferson's University College of Nursing to research service dogs as a scientifically proven treatment. Now, it is an honor to welcome Danique onto the show. Danique, I, I'm so honored to to have you here. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Mani, what a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me and um, allowing us to share our story and our journey at Leashes of Valor. And did I pronounce your name correctly? Danique or Danique? Because yeah. here in the UK, we say Danny. And that, but this is fascinating, Danique. And Massengill, Massengill. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And funny story, actually, I was raised in Germany. And so I used to have my name pronounced how you are saying it. And now in, living in the US, it's been very Americanized. So it's a much uh, less pronounced A. So Danique in American and, and Danique in, in British or European, as I say. Yeah. I mean, it's just so embarrassing. I mean, my name, no one can get it right. Mani Jehangiri. I mean, every time, you know, like the bank calls or, you know, I have to pay money to HM <laughs> Revenue. They're like, is this Ma Mani? Um, uh, uh, duh. And I'm like, yeah, it's her. It's her. <laughs> Jehangiri. Okay. Can we just cut the crap? What's, what's, how much do I have to pay you? How much do I owe you? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, I have, obviously, this is, uh, how can I say, I, I started yoga, yoga for you and your dog, uh, because I was working with humans as a yoga teacher. And I was working with children that were uh, abused and had emotional trauma. So I worked many years on researched humans and, and how they um, respond to, well, anything that triggers. So, uh, you know, creating a yoga class for children that have trauma and deprivation and all sorts of things, it, it was virtually impossible. And I was thinking, what do I do? How do I make someone feel, feel stable or calm? And the only thing that worked was that I stay stable and calm and I breathe through the session and don't give any attention to the trauma or the neurosis or whatever they were triggered with or they tried to, you know, uh, deflect 
from the class and things. Anyway, cut a long story short, DOGA wouldn't have been established had it not been coming from trauma research. So I'm really, really honored to talk to you because I know this is a very serious subject. Um, uh, your work is incredible. You work with veterans that suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Is that correct? Yes. So our, our primary um, end user for our service dogs is um, veterans diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder or a lot of the affiliating conditions. However, many of them also have traumatic brain injury, which often mimics PTSD symptoms. So there's a lot of overlap in the training and also the need for a dog for both of those injuries. Primarily, we focus on trauma, and then some of it also is brain injury. And like like myself, you know, I thought incorporating a dog into the class to bring a dog into their how do you say space where trauma is revealed, especially in yoga, it can come out. You know, why mm -hmm. do we bring dogs into that space? What what's why dogs? Why are they starting to become so important in a, in, on a, emotional, as an emotional support of psychiatric? I mean, where is, where is the connection? How can you explain that? And some of this will, I'm obviously very focused on my industry, but there's a lot of overlap for, for a lot of other trauma victims that are not, you know, combat veterans or, or people who serve, period. Um, I actually work with a lot of first responders now, too. It really is the human-animal mm -hmm. bond. So part of it, we think, is that the dog makes the injury visible, meaning it, it is almost a validation to have this creature next to you that is, you know, basically showing externally that there is something wrong because it is so difficult to articulate um, the different things you experience when you are triggered by external factors of any kind or your anxiety or anger management is going through the roof due to something that, that is so hard to control. And that's what we usually struggle with when we have PTSD is we're not even able to control our emotional balance. Just one question is how would a dog reflect that? Uh, would it be through barking or, or licking, licking lips or, or how will a dog um, express that for the human? Aside from the external validation of the dog's mere existence, which often helps with our relationships with other people, meaning spousal, for them to even have the understanding, okay, that's right. There's a there's a dog right there. Like I have to remember this person has a brain injury. Um, so it helps build compassion externally. Internally, what we actually teach the dog is our dogs are alert trained, meaning we mm -hmm. go through a very lengthy application. It's uh, I compare it to Match.com or online dating. You have to fill out a very <laughs> lengthy profile so that I know if you need long walks on the beach or if you're a sedentary in an office job because the dog has to match your lifestyle in order to be of support. It can't be a hindrance. And then mm. once I have the perfect personality matching, then we go into the task training. So that's when I start interviewing mental health professionals or even family members of yours to find out what we call your telltale. Kind of like when you're playing mm. poker, everybody has a tick. Um, people with anxiety usually develop a tick, and that's um, what's called self-soothing behavior. So as a child, we will suck our thumb or have a whoopee or something. That's, that's how we kind of calm ourselves and regulate our emotions. And as an adult, a lot of times, well, we somehow stop sucking our thumb, which is probably for the best. But we develop other mannerisms that show that we're trying to calm ourselves. So when you pick the side of your fingernail or you 
twist a, a wedding band. Men stroke their beards sometimes. We will twirl hair. These are all early mannerisms of anxiety building. And once we find the person's telltale, we teach the dog an alert to interrupt that behavior either by muz- with a muzzle or their paw. And that allows the person to basically recalibrate before basically all of those chemicals are released from your brain and you go into the full panic attack mode. Oh, my God. Don't talk about Oh, wow. So does it make sense? So that's one of the alerts we teach. And then the other one is nightmare interruption. And a good night's sleep and actual getting REM sleep and really like decompressing is so important when you, you know, for so many different mental health reasons. So having a dog interrupt nightmares for you to get actual regular full sleep, huge health benefit. Just just that right there. How does a dog detect a nightmare? Is what what would be the physical signs then? So we interview again for um, the type of nightmare. So some people are more auditory, meaning they mumble, they speak, things like that. The other one is thrashing, different movements. It's almost uh, borderline sleepwalking. Like your sleeping Mm. behavior changes almost. And we literally have trainers lay in bed and mimic a nightmare to teach the dog to alert on that specific behavior, knowing what that that person displays. And usually, and we are a residential program, meaning the person comes to our property to train for 16 days on how to use this animal that we have trained extensively. And in that 16-day window, the dog already starts alerting on nightmares. So we usually already have confirmation that everything we trained is playing out the way it needed to be. So uh, the person, the uh, the the, uh, the patient—I don't want to say the patient because that's wrong. The veteran, the veteran, the veteran. But of course, Mm -hmm. with trauma and everything, he stays for he or she stays for uh, 14 to 16 days at the ranch. It's like a ranch. It's a huge, huge mansion. I mean, I saw the pictures. It's huge, Um, and and sleeps with the dog with the new dog. Is, is that correct? or Yes. So we, we call it a residential program um, just because there's varying dog programs for this type of animal. Uh, residential program means we have a, a small cottage, so they do have their own personal space within this. Um, we call it the farm. It's a 20-acre it's a farm in rural Virginia, so we're about an hour and a half from Washington, D.C. Oh. Um, it's very agricultural looking. You know, we have farmers around. It's very quiet. It's very... Um, holistic from that aspect. So they have their own cottage. And a lot of the time, they actually are encouraged to spend there alone with their dog. So aside from public training, where we teach them how to go to a restaurant with an animal and grocery shopping and all of those things, they're also encouraged to just spend time with your dog in the cottage. They need to learn your sedentary resting heart rate when you're grounded, when you're fine, so that when you are elevating your heart rate, when your anxiety starts going, the dog through the bond Just like any pet dog at home, your dog knows when you're having a bad day because they're bonded with you. These dogs do the same thing. We've just taught them ways to use their body to actually properly alert on that. So they just have more training. But the intuition of the animal and the relationship with the human is really the secret in this dog. It's unbelievable. I wish I was there. A fly on the wall and just watch the whole process. That's unbelievable. I cannot believe it takes only two weeks. To, to get a sur- in a way to to train up a service dogs. Now, how old are these dogs, and are they rescue dogs? Uh, do you specifically breed dogs for for this, or or you do you choose rescue dogs? How does has, how does that work? So ours is a mixed bag. We have dogs donated from breeders. Um, they will give us like one of one from each litter or something, 
And then we have dogs from shelters or persons who have to rehome their animal because they're going into assisted living or other lifestyle changes that are pretty drastic. So we try and use dogs that are that are needing a new home and a new life primarily, but we won't turn down donated dogs because it is really great to train a puppy all the way to adulthood where we, te- we keep them for two years. And these dogs are capable of doing all kinds of things. So just the level of training when you can have a puppy and raise it all the way to adulthood, you can imprint a lot more information into the animal. So a veteran would not walk away with a sort of, with, with a puppy. You can't, you know, it would, the puppy wouldn't be ready, of course, for that kind of work. Exactly. Our animals don't graduate until minimum 16 months old. So we actually have the dogs in fosters, as well as on the farm, going through training with our in-house training program until they're ready to be paired. So the veteran only comes for 16 days to train. The dog has been training for almost two years up to that day. Um, just so that they have top tier standard of public behavior. And that's really just to protect others in public too. And that goes for a rescue dog as well. Is, uh, do, do re- because I'm thinking maybe rescue dogs, some rescue dogs may have trauma themselves. You know, um, how does that work for them to become a service dog? Um, so we, I'm very strong on my trainers having very extensive training on behavioralism so that we are able to rehabilitate as many dogs as possible, obviously. Mm. But I'm also personally coming from military canine world myself. I have a strong attachment to making sure every dog ends up in the right career. So we have washed out dogs that were very, very good behavior-wise, but I knew the dog had too much drive to be happy in the career we had originally chosen. So we've actually washed out two of our dogs to not be service dogs and they've become police detection dogs for explosives and they're so much happier in a high speed high drive environment so with rescue dogs we try and rehabilitate yes but if i notice the dog is not not going to be happy in that world i'm also not going to force a dog into a career that i don't think is best for them and i will try and find them the most suitable situation you know strength on behavioralism to really know what's best for the animal too and you really are the expert in this to train up uh, service dogs and military dogs when did that happen when did your career start and why honestly i stumbled into it at university i was very passionate about working dogs when i was in the military and through working with veterans and rediscovering the community and i had mental health struggles myself when i was um, at university drastically um affected by my PTSD. So I just fell in love with the idea of the human-animal bond and how much impact that can have from a non-pharmaceutical aspect. And honestly, personally, I'm a, I'm a huge yogi too. So oh, the, brilliant. The, the marrying of me going to yoga and really figuring out grounding techniques, but also the comparison of yoga and some things you learn there and some things we utilize in, in dog training. For example, counting your breathing we, we have them focus on their dog while counting their breathing to get through a panic attack. Like it, it, we use it as a grounding method. The dog will sit between their legs and the command is called lap so that the dog is basically forehead to forehead facing you. And it allows you to tunnel out everything else around you, really just focus on your animal. <sighs> Odd numbers. So a seven in, five out, you know, pick a number because PTSD allows you to become very obsessive and counting is rather a soothing grounding method that for some reason speaks well to veterans. They love counting something. So count your breaths, focus on your dog. 
And it is magic sauce. I'm telling you, it's magic sauce. It's interesting because in my class with Doga, I focus first on the human emotions, but I haven't worked with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder as yet. I want to. But my method is, is first to sort of let the dog also have his yoga, meaning he has respite. So he can play, he can misbehave, he can jump growl, jump up, whatever. They roam around and first we ground ourselves. And then and then the dog starts finding their own space. So it's kind of you and your dog kind of relationship where you then suddenly realize maybe what's coming up for you with yourself within the yoga. And then the dog may be there and you reach out. So it's not straight away on the dog. It's actually going away from the dog first and that's one of the hardest things because people are so attached yeah it's they're so attached to their dog's behavior and also here in the uk people think oh the dog is so badly behaved if he humps or growls or barks or oh my god god forbid he piddles on the floor (laughs) you know everything is about i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry for my dog i'm sorry no don't apologize because that happens when you bring a pack in and they're free to do what they want in a yoga environment which looks really messy but in that space they are allowed to do what they want to do and there's no room for apology you don't have to apologize for anything unless the dogs attack each other which barely ever happens because as soon as the humans are on the floor it's it and they're the, the leash is off uh, the lead the lead we call it the lead here is off mm-hmm. it just all subsides everything just falls into place but it's interesting what you were saying because i would love to see that technique that you just mentioned on for for specifically for post-traumatic stress with your surface dog to focus on your dog and breathe in and out so you need to teach me <laughs> your <laughs> yoga technique it's it's amazing it's absolutely amazing if i may ask uh, you say you also suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder what what happened there you were in service yourself and and then you were about five years in service is that correct um was it the yes. navy or yeah Yes. So I served um, five years. I joined immediately after September 11th, 2001. Um, That was a big trigger point in the American military for joining. Um, And Mm. I joined the Navy because I wanted to be a police officer specifically. Um, So being in law enforcement in general um, definitely exposes you to some traumatic situations. Uh, I encountered a lot of suicides uh, of other service members. And then also I myself was an assault survivor. So, it, and that wasn't dealt with for many years. So that PTSD was kind of lingering under the surface and started bubbling out unexpectedly because it wasn't dealt with. And, and, and how does that actually manifest? Because I do know about panic attacks, but I don't know about post-traumatic stress. So what's the, what's the difference with post-traumatic stress? Uh, I mean, it, it really is just accumulation of panic attacks and um, oftentimes joined with um, agoraphobia, for example, was a big one for me. I would have anxiety in large, like, auditorium-style settings. So in university, the large lecture halls, certain door slamming in, an, in a setting like that would completely throw me off where I would have to leave and, and basically hide in a bathroom in a building I felt comfortable in while I was, like, just uncontrollably crying you know, that release of hormones that causes the initial panic attack to, to just recover mm-hmm. from that. Um, and I hated crying in public, so it would make mm. it worse that I got upset. <laughs> so I just, it turned into a vicious cycle. But for me, 
major panic attacks really was was the big one where I just avoided any situations that I knew would cause them. And then, you know, you become more reclusive and mm. don't learn how to deal with with things. Um, I think that was some of the bigger ones. And for me, yoga and even handling a dog helped me a lot with body handling, which for trauma survivors, I think sometimes mm. is difficult on physical touch. And also learning to control your own body. So in yoga, but also with a dog, you have to focus on yourself or your dog's going to tell you you need to focus on yourself. Both methods really helped. That's interesting. And do you have your own service dog as well for yourself? So I, I had one for a few years, and that was before Leashes of Valor. And it was not appropriately trained on how to let me know what was wrong, which is why we're so mm. adamant about teaching the dog exactly how to say it. So she became protective because I wasn't good with body handling. Um, at TSA, for example, going through security at the airport, um, I had to kneel down to get something out of my bag and an officer was like over me physically in a posture that apparently set off anxiety I wasn't aware of. And the dog knew that I wasn't in a good place and she wanted to create space and she did it with her teeth. Ah. Uh. I get it. We were a bite incident. So I obviously oh. retired the dog because that is not acceptable behavior. But that, for me, let me know that I wasn't mentally in a place to be responsible for a dog at my level of internal anxiety because I wasn't able to pay attention to the dog while I was going through it. That is that so sense. fascinating. No, it does make sense. So I just wanted to say, I mean, this is a bit personal, but... I do need to share this. I, I can't fly planes very well anymore. Um, the panic attacks have come back. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a dog called Robbie, but he's not trained. He's not trained for anything, really. <laughs> I never trained. We're just symbiotic. It's just he's a Maltese terrier. And he, he reads me the whole time. But I realized when I was in that plane and he was uh, underneath the seat in a, in a, in a, in a crate, you, you know, like a little crate thingy. Uh, when I had the panic attack, mm -hmm. it is the worst thing in, on this planet. I mean, I can't, well, you will understand it. It's, it's absolutely the worst thing that could happen. You think you're going to die. And if anyone touches you then in that moment or asks you, are you okay? You'll scream. So yep. you have to do, because you have to deal with your thoughts so that that's where the one, two, three, four, five could work or thoughts, two, three, four, five. And I found a way of breathing through it, which I want to share with you. But I also got a pen out in that moment when I had the major panic attack, I started writing and I was thinking, Robbie's not trained for this. How much, if he's, I don't know if he felt my panic attack or anything, but I really hope that he didn't feel what I was going through. Because it's, it would be way too much for a dog to hold. Do you see what I mean? Like this, this, this high, mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking how, if, if he had been trained, how does a dog hold that high level of anxiety without freaking out or suffering? Uh, is that a long question? Sorry. You see where I'm going with this? Like, Am I, yeah. am I causing him more suffering because I have this, these issues, you know, if he's not trained, will he suffer? You know, so many people say, say, Oh, I have an emotional support dog, but yeah, really do you uh -huh. like, is he really trained? What's a trained dog and how much should they hold? Uh, and can they hold without them going down and deteriorating? Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And we call that burning out a dog actually. So yes. for example, seeing eye dogs who work, 
24-7. So we call them life or death dogs because if that dog walks a person into traffic, the person's going to die, obviously. Mm. Unlike an anxiety dog, which you're not dying from the anxiety attack. It feels like it, and I'm not taking away from that, but I'm just saying level of training responsibility. So a seeing eye dog doesn't have downtime because they're always on. Yeah. And they die off younger and they don't work as long as, for example, dogs that I train. Again, because they're not, a person's not always in a panic attack, if that makes sense. Mm. So they okay. get downtime after the fact too. So if the dog is, I really want people to understand the relationship you have with your dog at home versus a service dog. It's the same thing. These dogs are working miracles for any of you at home. That bond is real. The only difference is, is that we put a lot of training on ours so they don't poop in the store, if that makes sense. Right. Like so that they can go anywhere we go because not all dogs like escalators or shiny floors. So it's just an environmental thing from a training okay. aspect. But the bond and what a dog can do for you, even that dog on that flight, like they, they feel you. And that doesn't mean it's detrimental to them if they have downtime too. And if you're not always in a bad place, basically. But yes, they can burn out too. Absolutely. I was just wondering because I, I notice a lot of people, again, over the years of being a doga teacher, you know, the people with more mental health issues or anxiety would get a rescue dog that was anxious. It was like, you know, almost like, oh, I want to I want to save that dog. But they couldn't even say, yes, you know, they can't help themselves. They, and, and the bond was too attached. They wouldn't let go of the dog, you know, and these kind of things, you know, where you just a little bit sort of using the dog for your own <laughs> security and how good is that for the dog you know um you know does he need to be trained you know for for your for your condition it's just the balance I'm, I'm probably questioning the balance a good balance what is a good balance between owner and dog you know and and where you don't uh maybe humanize a dog too much either it becomes your baby and you can you know you, you keep the dog to your chest at all times and things like that, where I just thought maybe this is not a good thing. But uh, it's, um, it's fascinating that you're saying that it's exactly the same relationship. So a service dog or uh, a non-service dog, it's exactly the same relationship. I'm fascinating. I wanted to move a little bit forward uh, with Leashes of Valor. Uh, and one of the most important things that I wanted to ask is your work, actually, with Thomas Jefferson University. It says the College of Nursing. College of Nursing is researching how service dogs have scientifically proven treatment. I mean, we are really way behind here in the UK with that kind of thing. And I, th I just think it's an amazing thing that you've got an actual university involved in the United States. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? What's happening here? Yeah, so we're, we're really, really lucky to have um, Thomas Jefferson College of Nursing on board. The, it's a very old university, and the dean currently is actually a former military a nurse corps veteran. So she was a, a nurse in the Navy as well. Um, wow. And her son is a military. So I think that's where a lot of the support came from to not have to go through a lot of obstacles in the beginning to suggest research. So basically, as soon as it was suggested, everybody's like, Less, yes, let's find a way to do this. And it was really telling them that there's a lot of policy in America about getting veterans more support for PTSD. And that involves a lot of money in, D in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. obviously. And so we've had several research studies done through the Veterans Administration, mm. our hospital system for all of the veterans, 
But none of that actually includes prescription levels. And if you think about your you're advertising this as a life-saving measure to treat an actual condition, which means you need to be able to prescribe it, right? So in order to prescribe something, you need to have prescription confidence mm. and prescription strength. In the U.S., we have the FDA, Fed, Food and Drug Administration. So you have to oh, get, yeah. you know, show oh, a yeah. certain kind of efficacy. No research has been done to this date that not only shows efficacy of the animal on actually treating something, but also what exactly are we treating and what is the animal doing? Meaning, how are mental health professionals going to actually write a prescription if nobody's teaching them? what this tool can do. So everybody's talking about it on this on the veteran side, but nobody was talking about it on the medical side. So nobody has prescription confidence on how to recommend this because they don't know the capabilities. So Thomas Jefferson obviously then agreed that yes, we, wow. we work in that field and we would love to know how to do this too. So I think you're right. It needs to be researched. So here we are trying to figure out how to find a path to creating prescription levels so that we can even address, you know, if dogs for, for autism are right, what prescription level is that? If dogs for Down syndrome or diabetes, all of these different uses for service animals need to be managed and, and, and leveled somehow. And that's really what we're working on in a nutshell. Wow. And how do, what does the research entail? Sort of on a, is it a daily thing? Like they, they what do they so, monitor? To, to get, you know, data. Yes. So trial one now is what we're really trying to do is find dogs and graduates from different organizations that have successfully graduated and successfully used their dog. And now we're backtracking that data to see, A, which organizations are have the pairing figured out so we can figure out how would you prescribe a dog and who's a successful candidate for this treatment methodology. Then also, what is a successful pairing? Like, what is our end deliverable? Like, what is considered success? So now we're, right now, not talking to veterans anymore. The interview phase is over, and it's actually being coded to figure out the different responses and find consistencies on this is what the dog did for me, nightmares or behavior interruption, things like that. And the other data is the equivalent and really how anything in Washington, D.C. happens, the money. Economically, what is the difference between prescribing somebody a service animal and what does that cost from a social impact versus 30 years of prescription medications and, you know, on-site treatment and all of the other things? So cold, hard truth, we're comparing numbers on what's a more cost-effective long-term treatment methodology to successfully bring somebody back into society. So are they able to work then? Are they contributing back into society because they have a service animal or are they on medication continuously and not contributing because these are all social financial impacts too absolutely and you know the thing is with medication is you often stop the medication because you think you're done with it <laughs> and then and then you have a you know a relapse and things but with a dog you won't have that because you have your dog there at all times it's it's incredible exactly so is one cost for the animal mm. the cost of the animal versus cost of 20 years of prescriptions and then also, you know, what we call post-traumatic growth, honestly, it's kind of catching on where a lot of people actually flourish after trauma. As long as soon as you get used to the new you mm. and you have made peace with the old you is not coming back. This is just growth. Just like if you had knee surgery and you have scar tissue, you are, you are a new you with new scar tissue. So post-traumatic growth oftentimes is seen with a dog. They graduate out of needing it. The dog slowly becomes more of the couch dog. 
And sometimes five, seven years later, they don't need the dog anymore. They have learned to adapt and manage their anxiety and PTSD to a level where they do not 24-7 need that support, which medication doesn't teach you. Medication doesn't teach you how to adapt and learn to live with your scar tissue. It's masking the injury. It is masking the injury. And and also, uh, is there, I mean, these veterans obviously must get also psychological help do they get any any service in that regards you know any any you know psychologists and things or are they left sometimes just with the medication so i will say the veterans administration here has become very strict with medication management so they are not left to their own devices from that aspect they do have to check in very regularly we only take people into our program that have had mental health treatment and usually require a letter from a mental health professional recommending that they're at least mentally capable of attending training Mm. because I need to know where their anger management is because I have to trust them with an animal. So depending on where you're at with substance abuse and other things, they're not eligible for the program because you can't self-medicate with something else and expect a dog to know your resting heart rate versus your anxiety heart rate when you're drunk the entire time. Oh my God, of course it's everything to consider i haven't even thought about it my goodness so like i said it's very much like a dating application i ask it very intensive questions um we're very much based on peer to peer support because we're all military veterans ourselves Mm. um so sometimes that brings in a little cold hard truth conversation between brothers Mm -hmm. not the conversation a mental health professional would have so um but we find that's actually helpful because military is very much used to a communal lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, a sense of service. And, you know, a lot of times when you're deployed or on a ship or in the barracks, you have that communal living mentality. So coming back to that communal living mentality, even with a dog, you have that buddy system. You're never really alone, even if you're not talking. It's a multifaceted approach, but it really centers around the dog here and the dog replaces the unit they lost a lot of times. It's um, it's an interesting journey to see what these dogs do. But again, it comes back to my thing. Uh, you can't just say, oh, get a dog and a dog will solve your life. You know, you need to put in the effort. Um, same thing, you know, you can't just grab a puppy and think the puppy's going to protect you from everything uh, with with all your relationship issues. And, so, you know, you know, we can't just use a dog. You know, there's, <laughs> it's a two-way system, isn't it? This is what I'm always thinking. It's, exactly. it's, it is a two it's it's a very subtle thing and again i you know can do you agree dogs can smell our fear as well with the um endocrine system do you think they can smell it uh fear levels they absolutely smell your your feelings and also the your the skin layers you shed um all of the this the the different scent from your entire internal system is giving them an overabundance of information on things that we're not even aware of. I, one of the best scenarios I can give you, my my husband has a service dog that he got from another organization many, many years ago, and which was one of the reasons we got into the industry. Well, Christmas 2020, my husband's service dog is 11 years old. They go to bed for Christmas. Christmas morning, my husband's service dog wakes him up from, from a dead sleep, four o'clock in the morning. And he thought it's because his heartburn was so bad. Like he thought he had digestive issues. So he's sitting up and I come downstairs to drink coffee at 5 a.m. Mm. And they're up. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Oh, I have heartburn. You know, I think I have digestion issues. By 7 a.m. he asked me to call an ambulance. He was in cardiac arrest the entire time. The dog was trying to tell him that. 
He almost had a widowmaker. Thankfully, he made it, but that's because the dog woke him up from something he wasn't trained to do. That's a PTSD service dog that is trained to remind him to take his medication and trained to interrupt his anxiety attacks. That dog has nothing to do with anything with heart or cardiac. I wouldn't even know how to train for that. And that dog woke him up from a widowmaker. Oh my so yeah, God. those dogs know. They smell it. <laughs> they smell everything. And we have plenty of, st- I mean, there's crazy stories. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it was so interesting before I went to hospital like um, 24 hours ago. I mean, Robbie was already sitting with me exactly where I was going to have the epidural, you know, or, or sitting at the top of my head or just knowing, just knowing something's going to happen. And, and the way he looked at me and they, he they knew, know the pain points, mm, they know the pain points. He knew, he knew exactly. He also knew that I was going to go to a hospital and have something. It's, it's incredible. It's just incredible. My God, I could talk to you forever. What is the future of your organization? <laughs> what? How's the money? How's it going with funding? <laughs> but let's talk about the money. Uh, do you self-fund? Do you do you rely on people's funding? Can we donate? What happens? So we are primary. We are only donation funded. Um, I mean, our our internal founder team are the primary original funders because we we just love what we do and I would not want to do anything else in my life ever. So we are unpaid, unpaid actually, and really, really happy that we are able to live off of our military retirement and do this completely unpaid so that all of the funds that are donated go directly to the dogs and the veterans. Uh, We don't take government funds. So yeah, we're basically a 501c3 charity organization in the US. And the future for us, we, we did have 2020 as our best year. We are building a new facility where we can sleep three more veterans so that we can increase our class size to four warriors at a time because currently we're only able to graduate one veteran at a time so we're quadrupling output starting Mm. this year and we're moving forward with more research and next week we're donating our first ever trauma response dog to a police department in pennsylvania and that will be their first canine ever and it is only there for special victims units and law enforcement officers and um, any community relations issues that they may need. So it's just a sweet white Labrador named Victory, and she's just trained to make everybody happy. And hopefully that'll help that community out tremendously. Oh, my God. I think we should all be trained to make everybody happy, you know. (laughs) We all should come to your ranch and get some training. You know what I mean? It is unbelievable. Absolutely. And, and you know, the thing is, uh, and, and what would you like to see in the future? What would you be or your dream goal, your vision? What, what would you like to say? Uh, I'm going to be greedy and have several goals here. One is to eradicate the stigma on mental health where people just feel a lot more comfortable coming out of the closet and saying, yeah, I suffer from anxiety or depression or whatever. Because um, I think that'll help service dog users and just the entire industry overall actually lost my train of thought. I think that's the most important one is really just eradicating the stigma because for us in in the U S we have a really strong suicide issue in, in first responders, law enforcement and military veterans, and also the, the medical field after 2020. Mm. And I think the stigma is really what's causing the issue for so many people to seek help and just, just get a better quality of life. Do you think it's getting better? Do you think things are more talked about, you know, in the media? Is it getting better? Because I find it sometimes it's still people are very, very careful to talk about suicide, things like that. It's still like, 
Did COVID help? I don't think suicide's gotten better. <laughs> no, definitely not. I don't, I don't think it's gotten better from that aspect. Mm. I don't. I think employers are still, or employees are still very shy to come out in the employment situation saying, you know, they struggle or they might need, you know, mental health help. Here we worry a lot about what, what we call security clearances in certain jobs. Yeah. So people, you know, aren't willing to seek help because they're worried about their clearance. So I think it's a leadership issue for sure that we're beating that horse to death on social media. But in the real world, we have not made it actually tangible for people to really achieve the freedom to, to just say, you know, I'm just having a bad month. Mm. It's just happening. And it doesn't, that doesn't make people a bad employee or less productive. Like it's a wave is what we call it. Mm-hmm. But if we had more surface dogs, then it may be easier to talk about it. Say you have a service dog, you go, actually, this is a service dog's dog. Uh, this is my service dog. I have mental health issues then it's sort of easier to talk about it, I find it. It's like the dog protects you in a way, you know. This is a real thing. It's a, it's a funny one, isn't it, mental health? It's, uh, it's like you have to have a badge. I have mental health. Even some <laughs> people then criticize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but some people actually criticize, like, oh, are you injured enough to have one? Oh, God. But that's... Um, oh, God. Well, yeah. I, I, think more men- I think more service dogs or more dogs, even like the police department dogs for special victims and like court testifying for children, um, we're seeing those used a lot. I think overall it's making the topic more palatable, but I think we have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go. I'm really hoping that you can help pave the way and everything that you do, it's, uh, it's a one step at a time. It's, it's one step at a time. And I hope uh, on my part with Doga that Doga will get a bit of credibility in the mental health sector and will not be a fad or laughed on because you're doing yoga with your dog. Like it should be something silly. No, it's a real thing. No, the dog is there because it's an entity. It wants to be in your space and you're creating some space for the dog and yourself. What's there not to understand, you know? But, you know, people like to call it a fad or something silly, doing stuff with your dog, you know, getting... But anyway, I can go into so many details, but, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And I think you are on your way, (laughs) Danique. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. We have only a couple of minutes left for a little um, thing that I would like to share. And I've actually done it several times on the show, but it really has helped me through so much. And I wanted to share that exercise with you. You may want to use it uh, with... um, you know, with the veterans at some point or just for yourself. Absolutely. I can't wait. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you like this podcast, then why not check out one of our other amazing Create podcasts? If you just want a good laugh, then check out The Weekly Roast. Listen, listen, bitch. Oh, listen, make, make, make an entrance. I'm a week off sugar. Bear, I, I, will, I will fly <laughs> to the UK and I will cut you both up. <laughs> For the more cultured ones among you, join Laura Wright for Music In My Life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I'm so let's glad go. no one can see me right now because I'm doing, I was doing some weird dance moves. Yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> Prefer a deep chat? Connie's got you covered on How Are You, the Wellbeing Podcast. I just became a lot more productive and happier. Mm. And for me, like, that's just worth it. The Weekly Roast, Music In My Life and How Are You. Just three more podcasts to feast your ears on. Find them wherever you found this podcast. So just sit down and, you know, you can do this on your mat, sitting upright on a chair. It doesn't matter as long as your spine is as straight as possible. So this is what I did when I was on the flight from Zurich to London, having a major panic attack. So I I ripped my mask off, (laughs) literally. This is what I did. So it's called left nostril breathing. And in the yoga tradition, we have Pingala Nadi and Ida Nadi. The Ida Nadi um, is the feminine side, the left side of the body. And the uh, Pingala Nadi is the masculine side. We are just going to focus on the left side of the body. So the left breathing, the feminine, the cooling, the soothing aspect of left nostril breathing. So with your right thumb, just close off your right nostril. And just let me know that you're okay. So I know you're, you're, you're I'm here. Ready. You're ready, 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 good. And we're just gonna exhale, breathe out through the left nostril. And then we start our first inhale. Slowly inhale through your left nostril, lips are sealed. And really fill up right to the top of your lungs. Really fill up and then exhale through the left so maybe if you are with one of the veterans you want to say count one two three four five two two exhale three four five that kind of rhythm so let's keep doing this inhale And exhale. And again, inhale. Right to the top of your lungs, right to the sternum. Draw the breath up and exhale. 
And now starting from the tailbone, draw the breath up into the crown of your head. Exhale. Beautiful. You don't have to hold too long. Inhale. Beautiful. Exhale. Start releasing the shoulders, relaxing the face. Inhale. Exhale. Now, if your dog was there, you would place the palm of your hand, top of your, the palm of your hand, on top of your dog, anywhere you like, anywhere he likes to be touched, and continue just breathing in. But imagine you could breathe into the left palm of your hand, all the way up along the body, and exhaling through the palm of your hand. So you're almost distributing the breath onto your dog. So let's just try that, maybe with a cushion. Inhale. And exhale through the left shoulder, all the way down into the left arm, into the palm of the hand, through the tips of your fingers, onto the dog. And then again, inhale. Feel the breath traveling through the palm, into the shoulder, into the neck, into the crown. Exhale. And again, inhale. And exhale. Now, what I would add there is maybe a gentle little massage. So you start using your fingers, your left, your obviously your left hand starts massaging the dog, maybe the back of the neck where they hold the tension as you start releasing tension. So keep breathing, inhaling. Exhaling. And inhale. You'd feel the heart rate dropping, your pulse slowing down. Your mind starts slowing down, thoughts become slower, especially obsessive thoughts. Very good. So let's do the one more thing. It's inhaling through the left nostril. And now you're going to block your left nostril and exhale through the right nostril. And close the right nostril. Start again. Inhale through the left. Close the left, exhale through the right.
close the right inhale through the left close left exhale right let's do five more slowly inhale left hold exhale right really focus on a long exhale through the right slowly inhale more deeply and it really soothes the heart exhale right this should stop the heart palpitations as well inhale through the left And then close, exhale, right. Softening the buttocks, softening the jaw, softening the face, softening the tongue, softening everything. Try not to grind the jaw. And then exhale, right. And now you can drop both arms to the side, palms turned up. Maybe take Anjali Mudra, thumb and neck lightly touching, extending the fingers out, relaxing the shoulders down. And now just breathe through your nose, slowly inhaling. And exhaling. And in yoga, we use the rasping sound in the back of the throat called ujjayi victorious breathing it just emphasizes helps you to draw the breath in a little bit more and of course releasing the shoulders all the way through this practice and then just focusing on your third eye slowly inhale drawing the breath into the third eye. And exhaling. One more time, inhale. And slowly exhale and just release. Now, a lot of it is also gripping in the buttocks and stuff like that when, when you have anxiety, so really relaxing the buttocks. Just bring the palms of your hands into the heart center. And I always close with OM. I think OM always works for the dogs, sound vibrations. So taking a deep breath and feel free mm -hmm. to join me. Inhale. Peace, peace, peace. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. I bow my head to my sacred dog if he's there and bring my hands onto my forehead and bow 
my head so it's over the heart just take a moment to acknowledge everything and if the dog is there give him thanks for everything nama paw namaste nama paw thank you so much i hope you enjoyed this little exercise how do you feel Danique? how <sighs> could i how can i top this day a podcast that ends with a little yoga session <sighs> i'm like i love it and i can totally see the the feeling of the breathing exercise and reaching for the dog I think there I think there's money there girl. That's thank that's you. Powerful. It's powerful stuff. <laughs> now all I have to do yeah. is come to your ranch one day. I would love to come and give a workshop uh, one day. So you come to uh, America, you're my guest. Absolutely. I would love to absolutely. Um really really believe in 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 the power of the breath. And it does. The left, uh, the left nostril here. has saved me. <laughs> left nostril breathing. So it's an amazing practice. It's so ancient, but it just does so much. And the dogs totally respond to breathing. More. Yeah. Well, thank you for all your time, Danique. And 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 we would love to catch up with you again. And we wish you all the best um, in 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 your mission. 100% and uh, I hope lots of listeners will tune in to this episode thank you so much thank you so much for having me what a pleasure to talk about all of my favorite things with someone who resonates so much with this um, and yes I would I would love to circle back with all of you and see how everybody's life's going so thank you again for having me what a treat thank you so much Namapa. Namapa. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.